The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. beautiful people welcome back to the most important podcast in the universe that is this podcast the roto world football podcast thank you all so much for listening so i'm gonna start off with thank you because you deserve it you're great to us and thank you so much for listening to our previous podcast and for subscribing downloading rating and reviewing if at any moment you enjoy this episode be sure to do that as well a few notes before we get started one Go to rotoworld.com slash draft guide to get your draft guide for the 2018 season. I would suggest the season pass because, you know, it's not just your fantasy league isn't just one on draft day. It's also one throughout weeks one, two, three, et cetera, et cetera. And there's plenty of premium content there for you to check out or go to the magazine, you know, newsstands, wherever they have those now. You can pick it up. It has Alvin Kamara and Deshaun Watson on the cover. Second. On the 21st of this month, August 21st, that is a Tuesday, most of the Roto World football crew, Evan, Pat, Ray, Rich, and myself, will be in Stanford, Connecticut for a live streaming draft. We did this last year. It was just a rip-roaring success. So we're doing it again, even bigger, even better, uh, in an actual studio. And so I hope you can tune in. We'll be streaming it and we'll put that link out plenty of times during that week. And we'll be putting out other content during that week as well. So be on the lookout again, August 21st, go ahead and just like put a notification, something in your calendar to remind yourself of that. Okay. First week, the preseason it's over. So to wrap up and preview and think about the exhibition games that do not matter. I'm here with Patrick Doherty. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Josh. We're still working on our chemistry for the upcoming season, so we don't have any like good witty witty banner to to go back and forth with. So let's just skip that whole part. I like it, Pat. And Pat and I have met each other in person, but I've never met Ray in person, and I will be doing so next week. Hello, Raymond. Yes, prepare yourself for the glory that is my presence. And um, I've never met Ray either. He's like the mystery man of RotoWorld.com. <laughs> Who knows if I even exist? He's just it's hidden true. away down in San Antonio. And uh, but he's coming to the big city. He's the big city, Stanford, so. Connecticut. Yeah, that's right. I'm leaving the seventh largest city in America and coming to the big city. Hey, that's just city limits. We all know it's not metropolitan area, seventh biggest city. Don't try to pull that on here. <laughs> seventh Ray, biggest. Ray, I, I have a feeling that you are not a hugger. Oh no, 
<laughs> I just, am just a thought. I, I, I do no handshake. Chance. I do handshake. Okay. So there there will be there will be some hearty handshakes, but but hugging is I've seen too many HR videos to get into a hugging oh. situation. And and since you're a handshake person, name three things worse than like a limp handshake when people give that to you. Are there three things in the world that are worse than that? Because I don't think when, so. When you're forced into one because someone has poor aim and they grab your they grab your fingers instead of getting the getting the thumb to thumb lock, you know, that crease between your thumb and index finger, they grab prematurely. That's yeah. just the worst because then they think you have a limp and then you have to like adjust. I, I've, I've actually re-gripped before in the right. past. I've said, no, I, I don't want you to think yet. Yeah, it's very, it's very important that you get that, <laughs> that, that thumb crease to thumb crease interlock right there. Basically you trump them, right? You grab their elbow and then grab their wrist again and then just yeah. do it. No, no, the- yeah, do I it believe Donald Trump dislocates your elbow when he shakes your hand. <laughs> Maybe not quite that powerful, but. Yeah, don't do that, Ray. Ray is powerful. Okay, so I asked, just like last time, each of these fellows, these fine gentlemen, to bring a couple topics that are essential takeaways from the first week of the preseason. Um, I'm not going to go first since I'm the host. I want a guest to go first. Pat, why don't we start with you, my friend? What is your top most essential takeaway from the first 16 games of the preseason? Kevin White scored a touchdown um, or no, it was Brashad Perriman. No, no, it was Perriman. It was Perriman. That was like a true uh, Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> Kevin White Perriman on the first on the first play of the Bears game. Kevin White got open deep, and Mitchell Trubisky missed him. So it's happening for both of them, right? He he had a moment. It just didn't happen, right? Oh, it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, I'm, I have nothing to say about Brashad Perriman except for I think I cut him from my dynasty team, and I know Ray wants him to be a thing. Because I think Ray That's added factual. Him. That is factual. <laughs> he is still on my dynasty team. So, so there's someone out there that still wants it to be Brashad Perriman season, but it's just no longer me. Um, takeaways from week one of the preseason, huh? Um, got a, no player really uh, tickled the old fancy more than uh, David and Joku. I feel like you know it was that was like the most exciting performance I thought I saw. Two catches, 46 yards, two touchdowns. You know, one from both Browns quarterbacks. Um, a team that you know. Earlier in the offseason, we're like, wow, the Browns have too many weapons, question mark. And you know, now it's already, oh, nope, nope. They don't have enough weapons again, which benefits David and Joku. Uh, Todd Haley's offense you know, featured the tight end pretty heavily in Pittsburgh. We saw the Heath Miller magic over the years, the Jesse James uh, hashtag magic. And uh, David and Joku, just a guy you know, we were excited about last year. I feel like there's no reason to not expect the step forward this year. And that was just like when I thought of preseason week one, I thought of David and Joku. I love it. I mean, Ray, here's my question. How high will David and Joku climb? Because right now he's going as tight end 14. That's behind like OJ Howard, Jack Doyle, George Kittle. Could we see him in that Kyle Rudolph, Jordan Reed, Trey Burton area? So like there's a ceiling, right? Because you get to there are some there are some guys that you really feel comfortable with, maybe to the Delaney Walker range. And then you have Jordan Reed and Trey Burton, who are guys that I think that you, you feel more comfortable than you do with in Joku, but with Kittle hurt with Eifert, we have no idea. Yeah. He could jump up into that, that 11 spot. Maybe, maybe even jump ahead of Trey Burton, depending on how the preseason goes. Adam Shaheen keeps catching passes. People might get scared off. I don't think you should do that, but, but maybe he does. I can go pretty high. And like Pat said, the concern you had coming in was, is he going to get the targets? Because he wasn't used last year 
as much as he should have been. Perhaps there are reasons for that, but he was sharing snaps with Seth Devalve, uh, Devolve, whatever. I don't even know how to say his last name, but he was sharing snaps with that guy. And now coming in with Haley, maybe they're actually going to use him. There were some reports of him having some issues early in camp, but this is about about as good as you can hope for. The one kind of cold water I'd throw on this is how how many passes do we actually think the Browns are going to throw, especially if Tyrod is going to be the starter as they continue to claim, if he's going to be the starter for most of the season, are you really going to have Tyrod Taylor going out there and throwing even 550 passes? Is that is that how they want to run their team, especially with their defense? It should, if Greg Williams can get out of his own way, should be pretty good. So I, I'm still a little bit wary on that. But yeah, I mean, the guy's a beast. We, we, we know what the upside is if he gets the targets. I have something very important you to talk about. Yeah. I at least spent five minutes at my desk at work today talking about this Tyrod. Tyrod? Tyrod? Is it Tyrod? <laughs> is that Tyrod? Is- I'm just pretending I didn't read that. Like, I, I, I said it multiple times out loud to like Tyrod. Tyrod? Tyrod? Like, which one is it? I, I have so to no give idea. Some background, if, if people didn't see it, apparently Batonio, their left tackle, said that. It's not actually Tyrod, it's Tarod, and he's never actually corrected anybody, so we've been saying it wrong forever. We've just been saying it wrong forever. And it's it, pretty messed it, up. Tarod. Okay, got it. Definitely a valid concern with the attempts, but lest we forget, it was always Charles Clay season and Tyrod <laughs> Taylor season in Buffalo. Ooh, so, correct, yeah. I like that. You know, and, and David Njoku season, baby. I, I, I believe it. I mean, that scene that he had against Alec Ogletree, who was awful, um, was amazing, and it showed off his David Njoku's complete athletics, athleticism and complete ability at the position. And then also that leaping catch in the back of the end zone, I guess Baker threw that one, again, showed off his skills. And the dude's still super young. I think he doesn't turn like 22 until like the final parts of the year. If not, he just turned 21, something like that. I mean, David Njoku is – if he puts it all together, I can't wait for that to happen because something special is there. Uh, Ray, give us one. Well, I think Ronald Jones coming out and playing one snap with the first-team offense, playing one snap with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that one snap being a drop pass, a pass that he dropped himself. <laughs> and then Monday comes around, and the coach comes out and says, oh, yeah, Peyton Barber, that guy's our starter. And you could take those kinds of those kinds of statements with a grain of salt – in May and June, you go, all right, whatever. It's just the coach giving the rookie a hard time. But now we're through the first preseason game. You start to really get worried about that. And I don't think that Peyton Barber is going to be the starter when week run rolls around. They knew what they had in Peyton Barber at the end of last season. He started at the end of last season. They knew what they had, and they still came out and spent that draft pick on Ronald Jones. That is a really important thing to consider. But I kind of came into came into August thinking, all right, this is going to be a, the Ronald Jones show, and now I think this is going to be more of a timeshare. And if you know every running back's in a timeshare, so you're not going to get unless it's Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley, you're not going to get a running back that's not in a timeshare. But if it's that kind of timeshare, he's not going to get the passing game work because he's not really that good there. Then you know what are you getting out of Ronald Jones? I was going to say, you know everything Ray Ray very on point. And this is just always the risk with rookie running backs, even like highly drafted, heavily touted ones, like coaches, especially bad coaches who I would consider Dirk Cutter, a bad coach, unfortunately. Sorry, Dirk. Uh, They're just obsessed with little things, running backs, you know, it doesn't matter if they're terrible at the big things like, you know, gaining yardage. Um, 
But if you're just like an ace and that pass protection, which, you know, I'm not trying to undersell the value of pass protection, but I'm not surprised at all that a coach like Dirk Cutter, like can't quit Peyton Barber and even Charles Sims, the stiffest running back to ever play the position in the NFL. And just when you have those teacher's pets types around, like it's you basically gotta, like take the job from their cold, dead hands. And Ronald Jones, you know, has clearly not done that yet. I think the old Chris Henry for the Titans, right? You can back me up on this, might be the stiffest running back of all time. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is accurate. Yes. Uh, so right now, Ronald Jones is going as running back 27. That's kind of in the same territory as Rex Burkhead, who you should draft way ahead of him. Uh, Royce Freeman, Tevin Coleman, Sonny Michelle, Rashad Penny, so on and so forth. And as I tweeted today, um, Peyton Barber's at running back 57. And so we'll see maybe some similar movement like the Rashad Penny, Chris Carson movement as well. But Ray, I mean, that's a great point, what you said, that these teams know what they have in running backs and players that were on the roster previously. And if they try to replace them, that should tell you something. Now, if it doesn't happen in week one, that's fine. We could see it like Jeremy Hill and Joe Mixon last year, right? That it, it changes as the weeks and weeks go along. But to me, this rather than being down on Ronald Jones, I might just get him at a discounted value now. And I'm, I'm perfectly pleased with that. Um, there goes the Kirby enthusiasm theme in week eight when he hasn't done anything. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, so for me, my first one is, and we kind of mentioned this before this, this got started, but how many teams are so comfortable with their quarterback situations at this moment? I mean, in previous years, we've had teams pay money to like the Mike Glennons of the world, uh, Josh McCown, even though that might be a thing now again, uh, Blaine Gabbert was a starter, so on and so forth. Matt Castle, right? Like with, with teams now, it seems like to me, 30 of the 32 teams are comfortable with their 2018 quarterback situations. And the two that might not be, and this is arguable and up for debate, and we can talk about that, are Miami and Denver. Miami is probably on the fringe there. It might even be 31 out of 32. Um, I, I have a question mark next to Buffalo, but I think because of the rookie, they're comfortable with that. Arizona, the same situation. And then the Giants, who you know want a running back at number two over possibly one of these other quarterbacks, right? So it seems like they're comfortable as well. Um, I just don't think that we've had this level of comfort at the quarterback position league-wide in quite some time. And hopefully that creates, you know, even more competition. We even saw at the end of last year, right, with Case Keenum and Nick Foles helping their teams to achieve uh, playoff success like they haven't ever. I completely agree. Um, I just put out my 2018 quarterback situation rankings last week, Josh. Rotoworld.com. Uh, Rotoworld.com, okay. yes. And uh, it's an exercise I've been doing since 2015. And okay, now I'm trying to switch to sincere voice. Um, and this is by far, you know, the quote unquote deepest the position has ever been now quote unquote deepest, because it's deepest in terms of like on paper happiness. Like a lot of these situations are not going to pan out, but typically you go into a season, there's five or six teams that really can't claim, you know, they might have their quarterback of the future on the roster. They're just clearly in transition mode at quarterback. Um, but that number is just lower than ever this year. Uh, like I said, I think it's at least 30 teams that are happy. And I would argue maybe the Broncos aren't one of them. I think they're kind of the one team that got stuck uh, without a chair and yeah. duck, duck, goose or whatever. Um, but even, you know, Case Keenum's a perfectly fine transition quarterback. And yeah, quarterback, I thought like a year or two ago, it was kind of looking to be almost in like a crisis type state um, or 
there's only 15 or 16 teams that even had like a competitive situation at quarterback. And this, the, the, well, it's really been replenished the past year or two. And a lot of these guys will bust, but yeah, it's the actually, uh, you know, who knows what the overall talent level in the NFL, but I think quarterback is uh, definitely been back on the rise the past year or two. I just went through it uh, just quickly after, you know, after we talked about it and I came up with 28 yeah. because I don't think the giants are actually comfortable with their situation. I don't, no. I don't believe the dolphins are comfortable with their situation. I think if you, I think if you got the Jacksonville organization in, mm. in a, in a room by themselves and said, are you comfortable with Blake Bortles? I doubt they would say that they are. And no. I doubt that Cincinnati is comfortable with their situation either. Cause I think they know what Andy Dalton is by this point. And, and I, I think that they're a team that I, th- I think they're just comfortable with mediocrity them. to be honest. Well, they did retain Marvin Lewis. Right. So <laughs> point made so and proven. <laughs> but so yeah, who, so I, who are the big in the wild card around this year? I'm gonna go with the Chargers. Anyways, continue. <laughs> their their wild card Saturday morning Chris Wessling yeah. loss special. Yes. The first ever uh, this play the this play the game from London. Uh Twickenham Stadium. The not even the Wembley, play it from the rugby stadium. <laughs> It's amazing that you're like your point is like, and I, I've you think about it, you say, when have we been this flush with quarterbacks? And as you guys say, some of this is not going to work. Last year was a crazy year for quarterback injury, so hopefully that doesn't recur again. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. But when was the last time it was this way? I can't remember it, and obviously I'm not a very old person, so maybe it was this way at some point in the past. But it's really an interesting run of quarterbacks. Totally, um, and again, I hopefully that leads us to you know, not equal competition here, but real competition that it just isn't. And and like, you can't just knock out eight teams immediately. I mean, we can probably, yeah, if quarterback is a more even playing field, like that's going to elevate the importance of like everything else. You can't just like, if you're just, it's been for so many years, like just lucking into the right quarterback kind of. And like, you see an organization like Indianapolis who didn't have a good GM, didn't have a good coach, but they had Andrew Luck. So they was kind of like hanging on, you know, and like, and, but like if, Everyone league wide is happy with quarterback, and the play is more even. Yet it's going to reward yet smarter team building, smarter coaching, and it could be like a what used to be a real differentiating factor between the teams. You know, could disappear. Uh, and it's interesting what happens to because what's been a mark of the last what ten or fifteen years has been either you have Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, or you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, and that's been the way that you win. And if if you don't have those things, you know, then it, then it becomes very difficult just because of the salary cap. Right. And we see these quarterback numbers go higher and higher and higher. And I think Kirk Cousins is a fine quarterback, but to see the the money that he's getting paid, to see the money Matt Ryan's getting paid, if if we do get to a point, it's not going to be like running backs by any stretch of the imagination, but if we do get to a point where there are actually 32 or 33 or 34 quarterbacks that you're fine to start with, and as schemes become maybe easier to run, maybe we get closer to that, then – is there a situation where paying the quarterbacks all that money doesn't make sense? Like what happens hmm. then? What if the best quarterback in the league or the court, next quarterback up in the league doesn't get the most money? How, what's that situation look like? It's going to be fascinating to watch. The collegeification there you of go. the NFL yeah. quarterback position. Yeah I, yeah, I feel like just a few years ago, we like articles every summer would come out saying that the NFL is a quarterback problem. And again, it's, yeah. it's going to change in 16 weeks or whatever, but – Right now, it doesn't seem like that's the case at all, and I just found that fast. I think the big change has probably been the teams are finally just not immediately disregarding you if you were a spread quarterback or a running quarterback, and like or you're the NFL's finally learning. Yeah, the NFL's finally learning 
to live with, oh yeah, you don't have to be a six foot three statue to play a quarterback. And like they bristled against that, like fought against that for so long. And like, no, actually you can win in the quarterback with someone who was a spread quarterback in college. It was a spoiler alert. Speaking and of six foot three as- statues, Mike Glennon was dreadful this weekend. <laughs> dreadful. That's not surprising. And he was just paid as a starter last all season. So again, point made. Uh, Ray, let's circle back to you. Go ahead. Well, I also think, you know, I, the thing I pay attention to in preseason is playing time. That's, that's really not the only thing that matters, but the only thing that I think you should really focus on. And one of the most interesting playing time situations was Christian McCaffrey in Carolina. Not only did he start the preseason opener, he scored a rushing touchdown. That's nice. But he was in the game on every Cam Newton snap. Mm-hmm. And CJ Anderson not only played behind Christian McCaffrey, he played after Cameron Artis Payne. He was in the game in the second half of the first preseason game. That's really an interesting idea. I, I've never, I've not really been that high on CJ Anderson to this point. I, have, I haven't drafted him in any leagues, but I know people were getting excited about him. Oh, what does he come in and he gets you know 200 carries and he's that guy? Maybe not. Maybe they just want Christian McCaffrey to come in and, and be like maybe not a three down back, but be a guy that gets a lot more carries. And if you look at what McCaffrey was able to do last year, even struggling as a runner, especially early in the season, he was a mid range running back too in standard formats, despite seeing just 117 carries. If that number jumps up to 175 or 200, you know, what are we looking at with Christian McCaffrey? Yeah. I thought, and I wrote something in July. I thought he was being drafted near his ceiling because I thought that Anderson was going to come in and be used that way. If that's not what's happening, then he might actually be a value where he's going right now. Um, I've been known to talk about the Panthers, so I'll jump in here. A few things, Ray. I, I thought that was very interesting. That's not the right word. Inquisitive? No, that's not the right word either. Confusing. C.J. Anderson. You thought it was dumb. Yeah, that that he was being worked behind Cameron Artis Payne, right? And so I... Well, they don't know what they have in Cameron Artis Payne, Well, Josh. so I asked around a little bit, okay? And this is what I was told. What I was told is that they wanted C.J. Anderson to get a little bit of run, but not like with a chance against like real competition. Does that make sense? Like not with a chance of injury, but they wanted to like get at least like run his legs a little bit. It makes sense in a football coach's exactly. head. Uh, exactly. <laughs> not in a normal head. So I think that that's why he was behind Cameron Artis Payne. But with that said, Ray, I still think your point remains and is important because we keep hearing Ron Rivera. We keep hearing Norv Turner say that they want to get Christian McCaffrey 25 to 30 touches a game. And I think I even said I'll eat this tweet if, if he averages that. Because last year, he averaged 12 touches a game. And it seemed like he was very, very, very involved. So if that's the case, I think that where – and you were talking about this – where he was drafted, he's a safe player because we knew he was going to get receptions. We knew he was going to get his touches. But like you're saying, his his ceiling will grow even higher. It'll be like a 14-foot ceiling in an apartment. Like it'll be wonderful if that's the case. And especially if he becomes more efficient – on his inside carries, which has been kind of a, a main goal of his this offseason. So if it all comes together, if the narrative fits, then Chris McCaffrey in the area that you're talking about really is a value. Can I ask you a quick question about that that theory about C.J. Yes, Anderson's sure. workload? So they don't want to use C.J. Anderson because they're worried he might get hurt, but they're willing to use Christian McCaffrey? <laughs> hey, look, as as Pat and said, it's, it's a football brain we're talking about, right? 
And I could follow the football coach logic, but yeah. But, when you filter it through actual real world <laughs> logic, it makes no it's sense. It's just like the Interno Callaway, I, we're gonna punish you and we're gonna make you play the full football game, even though you haven't played the I full football game in two years. Talk about a, a galaxy brain punishment. We're gonna punish him <laughs> by making him giving him extra reps. Um They've that's the that's been the galaxy brain solution the NFL has been looking for on suspensions. Um, Christian McCaffrey, I just went away and like very quickly. Yeah. Um, I think just the magic number for him, 25, 30 touches isn't going to happen. But even if he could get up to like 16, 18 touches, I think that's enough to make him with uh, like a clear cut RB one and even like standard yeah. leagues. And I with Norv Turner, you know, we've been mocking the comments all off season, but I guess we could, it's kind of easy to forget like Norv Turner, like a lot of his offenses have been like filtered through some of the best like workhorse backs in NFL history, like Emmett Smith and uh, Ladanian Tomlinson and even sort of Adrian Peterson in Minnesota. And maybe he's just an old school guy that can't get that out of his head and they're going to do it with Christian McCaffrey come hell or high water. So I guess, yeah, maybe uh, we should be taking it a little more seriously. Yeah, like, if, again, if he averages 17 to 22 touches a game, that's amazing. And it's not like the Panthers can be any worse at running between guard center guard like they were last year. Like, it's awful. And so if he improves in that area at all, that's really helpful. And, again, the other takeaway is that I don't think C.J. Anderson is behind Cameron Artis Payne, but I don't know if he's going to tap into as many touches like Ray just said. Well, we're going to know that he's not behind Cameron Artis Payne if this week he's with the fourth string, because then they're like really be trying to hide him. <laughs> they're just protected him, man. Yeah, just protecting right, him. Right, so. trotting out your number nine overall pick. Yes. Okay, Pat, let's swing over to you. Um, I, don't know, I didn't really have a good second one, but everyone was talking about, you know, the Rashad Penny, Chris Carson continued kerfuffle and the even uh, snap touch share or whatever. Um, but I still, my take on the situation is that you know, the Seahawks used to be like all about competition. Like they like embodied that more than any team. Like uh, like the best player is going to play. It doesn't matter what your draft position was. It doesn't matter what we paid you. But I feel like they've basically done a complete 180 on that as an organization. And they've kind of where they were before, like forward thinking. I feel like they're kind of becoming like a, a regressive organization. And my feel for the Chris Carson, Christian, or not Christian, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny situation is that I really don't trust this coaching staff to look past Rashad Penny's draft status, no matter how good Chris Carson looks in the preseason and training camp. And I could be wildly wrong, of course, but I, that I think I'm still believing in the Rashad Penny is going to get like every opportunity in the regular season to kind of establish that role. And maybe if he flops in two or three games, then we'll like see old competition Pete reemerge and they'll go with Chris Carson. But I, I wouldn't get overly excited about Chris Carson right now, even if he uh, kind of electrifies the rest of the preseason. Well, I, I don't disagree with like your, your conclusion there, but like the whole competition thing, that's what the Seahawks offseason has been. I know about. it has, but I just, it, it has, which just makes my point, obviously even more of a stretch, but I feel like, I just feel like something strange is going on with them and they're like kind of, I think they're tired of all the flops they've had. You know, they're just horrible drafting the past four or five years. And I, I just, just for some reason, it's a, admittedly a pure gut feeling. I just get the feeling that unless Rashad Penny is like unwatchable, basically that they're going to try to give him a chance in the regular season. Well, the, the but, thing about, like you said, uh, that has not been bearing itself out so far. Well, and that's the thing. Like Carol has given 40 quotes to Albert Breer. Apparently they text every night. I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> 
Albert Breer has a new quote every week about Carol saying, we love the competition. We love the competition. We love the competition. And that's actually, I'm going the other way. The one thing that makes me think that this is real, that makes me worry about this is that, is that they think that the reason that they were good when they were good is because of the competition, not because they had Russell Wilson on a rookie contract and it allowed them to sign um, Michael Bennett and allowed them to sign Chris Averill. And they had Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Bobby Wagner. It's not that not all those things. It's that those guys emerged because of the competition. And maybe they're right about that. But if that's truly what they think, and I, I believe the quote was recently, uh, players change, philosophies, uh, philosophies don't. That's what Carol said, I think, like this week. In fact, I think that was in Albert Breer's column this week. So there you go. <laughs> but but the, I, that's the one thing that leads me the other way. I will say that when I heard about this game on Twitter, I expected to go in and see a much larger discrepancy in playing time. But when I watched it, it really wasn't that big. They really shared the carries. Chris Carson got the start. He played the first four snaps. Penny came in after that. He lined up for four plays of his own. One of them was a a penalty, but he was still lined up in that. Russell Wilson played 13 plays, including that penalty. Carson was there for seven. Penny was there for six. Like That is a a timeshare. And if that continues into the season, it's going to make it difficult for Rashad Penny to kind of meet his draft value, especially if you drafted him a month ago. But that's not an insurmountable lead. That's not a situation that is as terrifying as maybe it would be when I just was hearing, oh, Chris yeah. Carson started, Chris Carson started. I think Ray's point makes a million more sense than mine, and we need no, to No, you don't, Pat. Out. I mean, look, that, that's part of the conversation here. And what my issue has been with Rashad Penny and the Seahawks drafting him from the start is that, I mean, I just fear it's a misevaluation, right? Because as soon as they drafted him, they said he's a three-down back. Okay, when we got to minicamp, they said, well, we think he's a very good receiver and he's 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 good in passing downs. And like the closer we get, the more we realize, hey, still from college, he's not quite there in passing situations yet. And by not quite there, he's not good at it yet. Right. And so, again, with rookies, they are unknown commodities. We don't know who they are and who they're going to be and how they're going to be used. So if he's already with a behind a bad offensive line and asked to pick up an assignment in pass protection to help with a six blocker. And he can't do that and leave Russell Wilson running for his life, which he already does. And Chris Carson does that. Well, I think that's a a very viable option that we could come up with. And, and that's my fear with both of these in this entire situation. Like I kind of want to fade the whole thing, but I, I guarantee you I'll be in a draft and thinking like, Oh, Chris Carson's a good value here because he'll get touches or Rashad Penny at the end of this tier of running backs. I'll probably get him because that always happens with me. Perhaps perhaps next Tuesday on August the 21st. There we go. Uh, and a few more updates. Uh, one, if you are so inclined to draft Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, or maybe in Chris McCaffrey, since we had positive things to say about him, you need to go over to draft.com and specifically draft.com slash Rotoworld. If you haven't tried best ball leagues, best ball is the perfect way to practice for your season long drafts because best ball leagues, all you do is draft. Chooses your best and optimal lineup each and every week. 18 rounds, no kickers, no defense. How could it get any better? So again, go to draft.com. They even have the best ball championship, which has a million dollars on the line. I think they have multiple of those now with different entry levels. Uh, You can go in a six-man, eight-man, 10-man, 12-man. I I personally like the eight-man because I feel like I can get whatever players I want on my roster. It's a lot of fun. Again, it's draft.com slash rotoworld, which is great. And if you put in any money, you get a three- dollar entry for free that's our goodness to you so again go check out draft best ball leagues are so much fun well i'll close it out with the final point and i think the worst phrase of preseason football is yeah but okay i'm sure you guys get this (laughs) 
all the time when you post clips or talk about a player, like you get these. There's a lot yeah. of well, actually, people on Twitter. You exactly. Are like, yeah, but David Johnson had those runs against the Chargers, or yeah, but Joe Mixon made that awesome reception against the Bears linebackers and they can't cover anyone. Yeah, but Harold Landry had his awesome sack against the Green Bay Packers left tackle, who's a six round pick two years ago, right? Okay. Thank you, yeah, but people. We know all this stuff. The 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 purpose of preseason football is to isolate traits, like to isolate individuals and project what they do in the preseason to how they do it in the regular season, and especially if given an opportunity. And maybe more importantly, and I think this is up for debate, that these 90-man rosters are the best of what college football gives these NFL teams. So I, I think there's an argument here. Is it more important what they do in the preseason for their NFL careers versus what they did in college because the competition is better? Like any of these teams could easily beat any college football team on the field right now. So I'm, I understand you, yeah, but people, but it's not worth saying, yeah, but with every single one of these instances because what individuals do and what they put in the field is exactly what the teams are going to see and they're going to react accordingly. Well, actually, Josh, it either happened It either happened against Lawrence Taylor playing for Vince Lombardi at Golden Era Lambeau Field or it didn't happen. <laughs> I, it's like it's not someone, impressed unless that's Someone tweeted a Bears beat writer today that if Roquan Smith is not Brian Erlacher, then it was a wasted pick. Oh. oh. <laughs> Hall of Famer immediately. A healthy way to evaluate draft picks. <laughs> Do you guys care about the Hall of Fame? Uh, no, I didn't watch a single thing about it. No, I, for me, for whatever reason, the Baseball Hall of Fame has always felt much more meaningful. I think baseball is a very flawed Hall of Fame process, but I think the NFL's process is laughably flawed, and it's just so unscientific, and they let in far too few of players. And um, it just to me, the, the NFL Hall of Fame – feels too incomplete and a little too arbitrary um, for me. Like, I have really zero connection it. to the football of fame. Like, I mean, we, we watched a lot of Marshall Falk. We watched a lot of Terrell Owens, Ray Lewis, whatever. And like we played with them in video games. Right. But I have yeah. no inclination or urge to like care if they're in the hall of fame or not. And I feel like an awful observer of football because of that. Like I know there's something to it. Like I, like Pat said, I'm not even a, the biggest baseball fan anymore. I grew up with it, but like when Jeff Bagwell might not have gotten the hall of fame, like I was livid. Like I was, <laughs> I was upset. I'm, I'm like already been pre upset about yeah people. He's going to make the hall of fame. I'm already just pre upset about people saying Yadier Molina shouldn't make the yeah. hall of fame. You're all idiots. <laughs> like Roy Oswald. I'm convinced that Roy Oswald and I probably shouldn't, but I don't care. So like, maybe it's a, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's a connection thing. It, that's really weird. I hadn't thought about that. On tomorrow's episode of the podcast, I will be talking with Evan Silva about every team and basically every single player that came out. But first, I want to thank Ray and Pat for this lovely Baseball Hall of Fame talk and for everything else they brought to the table today. Uh, Ray, Go look at wait. Jeff Bagwell's numbers, please. Ray, I can't wait to give you a big old bear hug next week. <laughs> and Pat, I'll give you a, a firm handshake. How about that? That works. Although I'm kind of over firm handshake. I think it's like an overcompensation thing. I, I might just go full on. I'm, I might just decline oh. handshakes. Actually. So you're going to be like no. Howie Mandel and just be like a germaphobe and just like. It's not a germ thing. No, it's just like a weird power dynamics thing. Oh, got it. Okay. Well, anyways, you'll get to see all of that live on streaming somewhere <laughs> uh, August 21st. 
it, I mean, just based on that conversation, it's not going to be awkward at all. They we're going to have a great time. <laughs> um, so be sure to check it out. It's going to be at night around seven Eastern. I think we're aiming for. So again, mark it in your calendars. So for Ray, for Pat, I'm Josh. Tune in with the other podcast tomorrow and we'll talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.